Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Who is the Holy Spirit? In today's teaching, Pastor Nate Bowers considers that question and the role of gifts in the people of God. We're going to be continuing our series that we have been in called Church Matters. And in this series, we're asking questions like, what is the church? Why does she exist? Who leads the church? And how does a church actually grow and mature and learn to play its part in the story of God? And over these last several weeks, really this last month, Scott has really helped us grab a hold of this bigger story, this bigger picture of what we are called to live in as a church. One thing that I personally have been affected by is realizing, and even seeing in my own heart as a pastor, of how I so often think of success in the church in very different ways than the scripture defines success. Often we think of success that looks like this. Picture? We think that success means you got to have a huge building. We think that faithfulness means you obviously have truckloads of money and a massive staff. It's very normal just because of being in America to see a huge building and think, well, they must be doing something, right? Anybody relate to that? It's very normal to think, well, they have all these ministries. Look at all the millions of dollars they're bringing in. They must be doing something, right? And I'm a pastor, and I regularly think that. And again, the whole point is not saying big churches and big parking lots and big staffs are bad because hopefully that means a lot of people there are obsessed with Jesus and love his mission. But often, that becomes our metric. Often, that becomes the measure of faithfulness that we think. Rather than saying, are we being faithful to take up our place in God's story? So over these last couple of weeks in this series, We've been seeing, as Scott has told us, that the church in America has become in many ways a mere vendor of religious goods and services. People want a little bit of spirituality in their life, so they show up to a church. They want to find a way to have a good, wholesome family, so they just get some spiritual goods and services from a church. And what's interesting is that we do this because it's a vendor. Well, I don't really like this or that, but I like that, so I'll do that. I don't really want to give and serve too much, so I can show up on a Sunday at 10, but don't ask me to do anything else. It's because we live in this consumeristic world. Remember what Scott, I told Scott, like, I think about this every time. Remember what Scott said about the tacos? Does anybody remember that? The Sunday he started talking about tacos. And in America, if you one day want tacos... You can literally get any taco you want. What's the price you want to spend? What's the taste you like? How far are you willing to drive? How much complexity do you want in the ordering system? You can do whatever you want to get the tacos you want. Same thing with your neighborhood. Same thing with the price you want to spend on your clothes. Same, say, same way you want to take a vacation. The same thing you want to do at your house. The same thing you want to do with your cable TV streaming services. We're at base level consumers and somehow we think, oh, well, I don't do that with Jesus though. I don't do that with the people of God. Friends, we absolutely do. We approach Jesus and his church the same way as we approach everything else as consumers. 
So this is why we have to continually be drawn back into the true story of what God is calling us to as his people. This is why we're coming back to who is the church? Why does the church exist? How does the church build itself up? So far in this series, we have defined the church, this is on the slide, as the people of God in the overlap of the ages who are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And in our last sermon in this series, which was... I think it was like three weeks back because of all the snow and stuff that we had. We looked at the reality of how Jesus calls us to be witnesses. That was the last thing that we talked about in this series. And how Scott talked about how we're not witnesses in the sense of go out and witness. But no, the New Testament text actually says this is an identity. You are a witness now in all you do. This is not a command. It's a promise that you will be my witnesses in all you do because witness is an identity. And an identity is then what leads to an action. So where we're going now in this series is that we're trying to figure out how we can best organize our lives as a church to show that Jesus is truly the king over the world. So how do we as a church figure out who we're supposed to be to live that life out together? That's where we're going to be in Ephesians 4. That's what Paul is addressing with the church in Ephesus. And so I'm going to invite my friend Luke up here, and he's going to read Ephesians 4 for us. Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he has ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Awesome. Thank you. Let's pray before we jump into this passage. Jesus, we do thank you that you, by your Spirit, are here with us. Jesus, when you stepped out of the grave, launching your new creation, you then sent your Spirit, who is here with us right now. And so, Spirit, we can take great confidence in approaching the text of Scripture, a text that was written thousands of years ago to a people that were not like us, but in many ways were just like us. 
Spirit, our confidence is in you, that you will help us to understand this passage of Scripture, that you will help us see that this truly is the Word of God, living and active, that is able to speak to us. God, I ask for your help as I seek to explain these things. God, I ask that you would help your people, that you would help us as Redemption Church learn how to build ourselves up so that we grow in love. Jesus, because we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful witnesses to the story of God here in Hampton Road. So we ask for your help now as we look at Ephesians 4. In Jesus' name, amen. As you heard that passage read, maybe you felt overwhelmed because there's a lot there. There is a lot that we could say just in this first chunk of Ephesians 4. But as I said, within this series, one thing that we're wanting to specifically look at is the role of the church and how the church organizes itself and grows so that it builds itself up. So today and next week and possibly even the week after that, we're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit works in the church and through the church by giving gifts to the church. The church is equipped by the Spirit, and that Spirit works in each person who is part of the body. But before we dive in to looking at giftings of the Spirit, I think there's another question that maybe we need to all find some unity on. Before we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, why don't we just ask, who is the Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? If you've been here for this series, you've noticed lately a new trend that Scott's been doing that we'll just take a minute in our sermon and just pause and say, talk about this amongst yourselves. Let's do that right now. Let's take one minute, turn to the person next to you and just say, who is the Holy Spirit? And then we'll kind of see what we uh, think about that in just a minute. So just do that now. Ask each other, who is the Holy Spirit? Wow. Yep. Absolutely. The Spirit is the deposit that guarantees proof positive that you are part of God's family now because we have the Spirit. Absolutely. Anyone else? Mediator. Mediator between us. Yep. Absolutely. Helper. Yeah, he's described as the helper in the New Testament. I don't know about your church background, but for many, the Holy Spirit is often kind of put on the sidelines. We don't really know what to think about him. We know about the Father, as you guys said, we often know about the Father because of his love, and the Father kind of, in one sense, is this idealized version of God that everybody thinks about, just God as Father. But then we know about the Son, right, because the whole New Testament, all the Gospels are about Jesus. But sadly, this third member of God's personhood, the Holy Spirit, is often put on the side. There is a sad but true joke that I got exposed to in seminary that for many Christians, they claim to worship the one triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Bible. They approach the Scripture as the person of God because they don't really know what to do with the Spirit. But if we look at the story, even thinking about the story that Scott walked us through a couple weeks ago, we realize, and Luke actually hit this right on the head, that the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. So I want to talk about that just for like a quick minute. In one sense, this is an aside before we go back into Ephesians 4, because we have to understand who and what the Spirit does. 
because so often there's so much confusion on the Holy Spirit, especially if you look at what happens in the New Testament church and giftings and all this variety of things that the Spirit does. It's because we forget who the Spirit is. So that's why we're confused about why and how he works. So within the story of God, who is the Spirit? Open up your Bible to Genesis 1 and you will see the Spirit of God at work. The Spirit, the word for that is the Hebrew word ruach. I think that's going to be up on the screen. Yeah. The Spirit of God is described as breath, as wind, as energy. It's the vitality that you get when you breathe. You think about a breath of air in your lungs bringing life to you. That is who and what the Spirit does. So the Spirit is God's personal, empowering presence. If you think about wind, wind is powerful. So the Spirit of God is powerful. Breath, take a breath of air. It keeps you alive. The Spirit is the one who is keeping us alive. The Spirit is the one who gives people power to do things for God, to believe in God. The Spirit is the one who helps people know who they actually are. And again, even if you go through the story, you see the prophets talking about one day the Spirit's going to come and he's going to fill all of God's people. And then Jesus shows up. The Spirit empowers Jesus. Remember when Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water. Who visibly comes and descends on Jesus? It's the Spirit. The Spirit of God was then with Jesus, resting on Jesus. And Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, healed people, raised people from the dead, cast out demons, showing that where the Spirit goes, the domain of Satan is done. And then Jesus is killed. He's put to death for sin. And who raises Jesus from the dead? God's life-giving spirit raises Jesus up. Then Jesus comes to his disciples. And what does he do to them? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He breathes on them. Do you think it's any accident that the text says he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the breath of God. And then in Acts 2, Jesus has gone to be with the Father. The disciples are waiting for the Spirit to come. What happens? The Spirit descends on them, and they are gifted to speak and to build the church. They are gifted with boldness to speak with clarity to a whole bunch of different people in a whole bunch of different seasons. And then they start new little communities of Spirit-filled people who follow Jesus. And that's our first churches. And if you think about it, this is something that's really helpful when I realize this. If you want to know how the New Testament works, how your Bible works, like if you look at the table of contents and you see the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is talking to you about Jesus. Acts through Revelation is literally describing, here's what the Spirit did in the churches. Here's how the Spirit works in the churches. It's a very simple way to think about that. Here's the Spirit working in the church. So, big picture, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the empowering personal presence of God. In Ephesians 4, what we just read, we read about how the Spirit works through the people of God to do one thing, to build up the body. He does that through gifts that he gives. So, let's look at now how we are to organize our lives to show the one God by the many gifts. We organize our lives to show the one God by the many gifts. Look back in your Bible with me. Look at verse 1. 
Catch how many times Paul uses the word one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Meaning, figure out how to live your life in a way that shows who Jesus is. And here's what that will look like. Humility, gentleness, patience, figuring out how to love one another, bearing with one another in love, being eager to show the oneness, the unity that we have in the spirit, in the bond of peace, because there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There are not many lords. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, guys, figure out how to live life being different together, but showing that there is one God. In your diversity of community, reflect the fact that there is one true God. Make your lives be in unity to show that God himself is a God of unity. He's saying, organize your life in unity because it shows that the reconciling power of the gospel actually works. If you were to look at the whole book of Ephesians, all six chapters, one through three is showing the reconciling power of the gospel, the story of God. Four, five, and six are showing, here's now how you figure out how to live in unity together. Because if you think about it, consider other communities in the world Again, the church is called to be a community, but aren't there a lot of other communities that try to live together in unity in the world? Think about things like the military is a big community with a common purpose, with a common mission. Think about your job, your specific field, your occupation as a community. Think about hobbies that you love to do. There's a community built around that. Think about musicians that you love. There's a cult-following community often around musicians of people who are so committed to lifting up this musician that they gather life in such a way to say, this is the real deal. As long as people are captured by some bigger story, some bigger mission, some bigger purpose, they will figure out how to live in unity and mission together. They will figure out how do we organize our lives in light of this story. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus to live in such a way that you can be reconciled to each other, to show that God himself has reconciled you to himself. So Paul is saying, put your life together into reconciling, organized communities of people. This is why he says we're to love each other, which what does that mean? Not just some generic love, that means humility. That means gentleness. That means with the people that really annoy you or the people that are different than you or the people who don't look like you or the people who don't smell like you, figure out how to be patient with those people because you're showing that God himself has been patient with you. Paul is saying that when we live in this way, it shows that there is one binding reality, which is the spirit who has transformed us into the body. John Stott, who's one of my favorite uh, British theologians, he is with Jesus now, he writes, it is our common possession of the one Holy Spirit that integrates us into one body. It is our common possession of the one Holy Spirit that integrates us into one body. So how then do the Spirit-indwelt people figure out how to live life? 
Look at verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is saying that the risen Christ has given each of you different gifts. Different measures of grace. Do you see how he's going from describing live life in unity to show that there is one God? But now, each of you has been given grace in a different way. Do you see that shift of saying calling into one family to show that there is one God, that we're united by the Spirit? But you got to know, grace was given to each of you in different measure because in our diversity, we will show the one God. Because, think about it, we're not all gifted the same. We don't all like the same things. We don't all have the same strengths or weaknesses. And then look what Paul does there. In uh, verse, where is that? In verses 8 and 9, he has a little bit of this aside, it would seem, where he quotes an earlier psalm in the Bible. If you look at verse 8, it says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Your Bible might have a little footnote that says Psalm 68. Well, what in the world is Paul doing there? He's going to an earlier part of Scripture. He's explaining now in light of Jesus, what does that mean? So why is Paul doing that? Saying when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Well, this is something that scholars in one sense seem to have a lot of different reasons of why would Paul go there? What does it mean when he descended? Is it because he went to earth? Is it because he went to hell? Scholars kind of disagree on some of that. But what's very clear, there's a ton of um, unity on this, that this very much seems to simply be saying that Jesus is the victor who descended to earth. Jesus is the victor who conquered Satan. And now in his victory, what is he doing? He's giving us the spoils of the victory through the gifting of the Spirit. So do you see this argument, this shift that I said he's making. We're called to live and organize our lives in unity because we reflect the one true God, which is why, I don't know if you caught this, he uses the word one seven times. So as a church, we're called to live in unity using our different gifts to reflect the one true God. And then, notice this, verse 11, Paul begins to list out these various ways the church is gifted. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But I want you to catch something here. If you've been asleep, this is a great point to wake up. The risen Jesus, who descended to earth, physically took on form, overcame Satan, is now with the Father. He has actually given you gifts. He has actually gifted you individually, very specifically, unlike any other people. Do you get that? Do you see that? That's not just some, oh, we'll get lumped, like when all the parents like throw the kids in the back of the car, everybody just get in the back of the car, and it's like this one big lump of people. No. He has very specifically gifted you. Friends, he won the victory. And what does he do now? He gives us the reward, the spoils. We get to experience his personal presence in unique ways because he's gifted us. The victorious king, this is the point I want you to get. The victorious king wants to make sure you know 
that you get to share in the victory. That you have a role now in light of that victory. We cannot miss this. And for some of you, this might be the most important thing for you today because you might know you're in the family, but you might have no clue of what your role in the family is. I think that's something the Spirit is going to start changing here at Redemption Church. What has He gifted you for? You see, this is where we begin to realize why the Holy Spirit and why specifically the gifts of the Spirit are such a confusing thing for people. Because people think the gift is about them. People think, oh, well, I have this gift, and so it's about me. In one sense, yes, we see the Spirit has given us gifts, and that shows us that God loves us. But in another sense, what is the purpose of the gifts? It's not about you. It's about using your gift. And Paul goes into very specific ways where we see how loved and needed we are, but we realize our gifts are not about making much of us. So look at what he says next, verses 11 through 13. He gave the gifts of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the purpose of the gifts is not so that you feel made much of. It's not so that you can say, oh, look at my gifting. Look how much I can do. The point of gifting is so that the body will grow, so that we will all become mature through your gift. So gifts are given so that the body will mature. There's two things that we cannot miss here. And in my study, this was one of the biggest things that blew me away. There's, in one sense, two sides that we have to realize, that gifts are given so the body will mature. What does that mean? This means that you have to realize your gift is not about you. But that also means you have to realize that you will never know how you're gifted unless you're actually living life with the people of God. You will never figure out how you are gifted to grow in the body unless you're actually part of the body. Do you see that? So many Christians, Scott and I were just talking about this. In light of this, doesn't it now seem foolish that people get on and take like an online gifts assessment? Tell me how I'm gifted, internet. That is not at all how the gifts of the Spirit are to work. People often have no idea how they're gifted and who they're supposed to be and what their role is because they aren't part of the community. I literally started listing off ways over the last month that I've seen very unique and diverse giftings at work, just in the family of redemption, just within mostly people in my missional community. But these are all people who wouldn't know they're gifted if they had been absent from community. But because people are living in community, their gifting is just springing up. They're just seeing, oh, I'm good at this. I should keep doing this. I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to call some people out and don't be embarrassed. This is what the Spirit is doing in you. A couple months ago, I got invited to uh, like a beer tasting night at my brother-in-law Justin's house. A couple guys were there and we were all hanging out there. And throughout the night, I was standing in this kitchen thinking, Justin and Haley are amazing hosts. Haley's in the kitchen working. There's a group of guys all hanging out there. We didn't want to leave. 
We just loved being with them. We loved being in their kitchen. Most times when guys would get together, the wife would like, you know, disappear into the back room. Haley's there the whole time talking with us. She's making food. She's getting stuff out of the fridge, bringing more glasses out. It was an amazing night because Justin and Haley are amazing hosts. Would they know that, though, if they weren't actually opening up their home? Would they know that, that they're actually really good at that? And they should keep doing that because they're actually serving the body with that. My friend Luke is really, really good at talking about Jesus in really unique ways. I might talk about Luke in another sermon for another sermon example later on. But Luke is someone who's really good at finding himself in very unique communities where the word of the gospel is not there and he figures out, how can I talk about Jesus here? Luke would have no idea that he's good at that unless he had people around him saying, bro, keep doing that. Bro, you're really good at articulating the truths of Jesus. Keep doing that. My friend Louis, in my missional community, is uniquely gifted amongst men to try to figure out how to speak about Jesus to men, to see men grow into who they're supposed to be in light of Jesus. Not every guy is really passionate about doing that. Louis's really passionate about that, and he does it in ways that people wouldn't even know about. Louis wouldn't know that, though, unless he had people around him saying, keep doing that. Keep doing that to me. Keep doing that to those guys. That's a very unique gifting. My friends Lauren and Sebastian in my missional community are some of the most amazing, beautiful people I know. Sebastian has a brain that's like a next level brain that when he says things to me, I have to say, okay, explain that again because he loves technology. He understands complex things. He'll sometimes talk to me about a scripture that he read, and he's thinking about it in such a way that I'm like, I wouldn't have even known to ask those questions of the text of the Bible. He'll describe to me things he's doing and researching, trying to figure out, how would this apply to this? Sebastian needs to know that that's a good gift, that he would never know that about himself unless he had people around him saying, keep doing that. Keep pressing into that. Keep learning how to explain things to people like Pastor Nate who aren't that smart. He needs to keep doing that. Lauren, who is incredibly gifted at creating and bringing structure, taking things that seem to be chaos and bringing life and order and vitality to those things. Lauren is pursuing doing that. But if there weren't people around her saying, Lauren, you're pretty good at that. Like when Lauren joined our missional community, she created a spreadsheet that brought amazing simplicity to a whole lot of complex relationships. Who does what? Who schedules what? Who has birthdays when? Who has these types of allergies? I wouldn't know how to do all that. Lauren joins our MC. I don't even think about that stuff anymore because she's using her gifting. Sorry, I'm just on a roll now. Do you guys know Eric Benoit? Eric Benoit, who's just standing up here? If you hang out with Eric for more than five minutes, you will know, I mean this in a very good way, Eric has a lot of thoughts. And Eric has a lot of opinions. How many of you struggle with actually speaking your mind? How many of you struggle with actually being honest with what you really are thinking and feeling? Eric is someone who is very uniquely gifted at also taking hard concepts and explaining them, but also being willing to look you in the eyes and tell you something really, really hard. That's an amazing gift. I doubt many of you are good at that gift. Eric uniquely is gifted in ways of speaking and saying hard things in ways that people need to hear. That's a good, good gift. Friends, 
How are you gifted? You might not know, but I would say, are you living in a community of people where you can actually be open and learn who you are? If we begin to realize this, this means that Redemption Church has to become a gift-focused community. Not that everything becomes about the gifts. Don't hear me saying that. I'm saying we need to start regularly examining and talking about how are we gifted? How has the Spirit designed us to be part of the family? It's because gifts are given so that the body will mature. Look again at verse 11. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. We're going to look specifically at those roles and other gifts next week to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Jump down. He says, for what purpose though? So that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Paul is saying to this church, gifts are given so that you will mature which means it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. For some of you here at Redemption, some of you don't yet really know who you are in Jesus. Some of you don't yet fully believe that the Spirit has gifted you in unique ways. For you, I think the Apostle Paul would say, it's time to mature. It's time to stop Blindly trying to just follow Jesus, but actually be in life with Jesus and his people and learn who you are. Some of us get tossed to and fro by any bit of good news or bad news. We quickly get derailed and we quickly get confused. We go over here. Paul is saying, let's not be children tossed to and fro. Let's be people who know who we are in Jesus and we can actually move on into maturity. But how do we do that? How do we grow? Look, look in the text. How do we grow? How does Paul tell us to grow and mature? Does he say, get a big stack of theology books and just start working through them all? Does he say, make sure you go to the latest conference about Christian growth and maturity? Does he tell you, you just really got to work on your devotions? Man, if you would just have good quiet times, you would grow. Are those bad things? No. Those are not bad things. Those are really good things that can help you grow. Does he say, oh, if you fasted and journaled more, you'd grow? Nope. What does he say? And again, I'm not bashing those things. I'm saying the whole point for most of us is not that we need more knowledge. It's not because you're lacking in knowledge. He tells us that we grow, look in the text so you can call me on this if I'm wrong. We grow by being in relationships where we speak the truths of Jesus to each other. That's where we grow. For some of you, this also might be the most important point. Look at verses 14 and 15. He's saying that some of you are mature, need to grow up, but how do you do that? You speak the truth in love. That doesn't mean you tell people hard things like, hey man, you gotta speak the truth in love. Your breath kind of stinks right now. He's not saying that. Because if you look down at verse 21, you see that the word the truth means the truths that are true in Jesus, things that are true of Jesus. So we speak the truth in love, meaning we speak truths of Jesus to each other. So, you will grow, Redemption Church, 
as you have the truths of Jesus spoken into your life, you want to grow in your areas of unbelief, you want to grow in your anxiety, you want to grow in your anger or your porn addiction or your drinking addiction or your grief or your loneliness or your pride or your selfishness or your fear, how do you grow in that? Position your life to have the truths of Jesus spoken into you. That is where you will grow. But how do you have the truths of Jesus spoken into you if no one freaking knows you? If no one actually knows your real life, if no one knows what you really are like, if no one really knows the areas you struggle, how can anybody speak the truth of Jesus into your life? Do you see how it's impossible to mature without the body? It's impossible to really know who you're supposed to be unless you have the body around you. See, this is where you see the absolute folly of Christians who think that they can follow Jesus without the local church. I can just follow Jesus on my own. I don't need to submit to a group of people. I don't need elders. I don't need the preaching of the word. That is absolute folly. You will never grow. So we grow through community because people that have unique giftings are going to speak the truths of Jesus into your life. Do you see how amazing that is? Like, we're all so different. Within my missional community, we have so many different giftings, and we need all of them so that we can uniquely speak Jesus to each other and then show Jesus to the world in unique ways. This is something that completely changed the way I think about life and pastoring and follow Jesus when I realized, okay, Nate, you have some gifts. Scott has some gifts. Your gifts are going to be different than Scott's. Your gifts are not better or less than Scott's gifts. Nate, live in confidence in light of your gifts. Nate, be thankful and regularly thank the Spirit for how he's gifted you. And then find other people with different gifts to come around you. I mean, even just thinking about these guys we had up here. Very unique men with different giftings. We need that here. You in your own life need that. And what's unique right here is Paul is talking about gifts that relate to speaking the truth to each other. And I just want to say a quick word about that. Some of you here are really good at listening, and some of you need to get better at listening. For some of you, all you do is listen, and maybe it's time to learn to start talking. Next week, we're going to specifically look at some of these speaking gifts, the gifts listed in verse 11 and some other gifts. But what I want us to realize as we get ready to close, is that we're all gifted in unique ways that are not random. Friends, we have to realize this. The folks that are here, part of our redemption family right now, this is not random. The gifts that are here, the gifts that are present here right now, are not random. They're not all here. There's other giftings that could be brought to the family of redemption. But it is very intentional who's here right now. And who's not here right now? For some of you, you need to hear this. Maybe you're here, but you aren't growing up. Is it time to grow up? I think it is. It's time to stop dating Jesus. It's time to stop dating the church. It's time to cut off other options and to commit, to figure out what you want to do with your life and follow Jesus with his people. For some of you, it's time to stop being an observer only. It's time to get off the sidelines and get on the field. 
We can see that the Spirit has given gifts to us so that we could reflect God through our love and life together so that we can become mature, so that we could actually be a missional witness here in Hampton Roads. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.